my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. Or, sorry, the Spooky Important Cinema Club. <laughs> I'm making the sound of a uh, devil fetus probably <laughs> impregnating a woman. How about some, uh... Yeah, there you go. Those are just various fluids and, and uh, <laughs> icky, slimy, maggoty things. Because this week on the podcast, we talk about the grossest Hong Kong filmmaker ever made. The King of Sleaze, the Lucio Fulci of the Far East. It is Kwai Chi Hung. Kwai Chi Hung, probably most famous for the Boxer's Omen. The, like... Top of the heap, Gonzo Hong Kong insanity film. A man best known for his horror movies, but who, like so many of the Shaw Brothers Studios contract directors, made dozens of films in all genres, from wuxia martial arts films to juvenile delinquent melodramas. And he was the king of the international co-production, working with an Italian director on uh, Superman uh, Go to the Orient, and also the insane mix of German sex comedy and Shaw Brothers martial arts film which goes under a bunch of titles in America it's known as the Bod Squad <laughs> but it is most commonly known I believe it's like the Seven Virgins of the Sea, or the Sea of the Virgins, or stuff like that. So this is the kind of guy we're talking about today. This guy is a major discovery, folks. Uh, he's also somebody that I feel very underqualified to talk about, because like so many studio contract guys, it's just a vast filmography. Mm. There, there's there's so much in there, and I'm really I'm really discovering him this week. So I hope you guys will will come along with us and be patient with us as we try to figure out who this guy is. Well, I feel like people don't usually talk about him that much. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's not said in the same breath as, like, uh, Lucho Fulci or even Mario Bava, it's kind of insane to me. Well, one reason is because the Shaw Brothers are their own auteur. And also, the Shaw Brothers movies were not available for a long time. And then when they became available in the mid 2000s, they became, they all became available. All at once. If you went to any Chinatown uh, video store, specifically bootleg store, let's be honest, stores, <laughs> you would see a whole wall of these Shaw Brothers movies and you, you wouldn't know where to start. You have no historical context because a lot of them, if they're, unless they're like, you know, Chang Che or Lockhart Lung films, mm -hmm. you're like, I don't know what this is. 72 Tenants? That's a famous comedy, right? Is that the one that I should watch? And I think Chang Che and Lockhart Lung are, of all the directors at the Shaw Brothers, the two who are the most widely known. Mm -hmm. and, e and even they are sort of only sort of known. Like, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, even someone like Chor Young, who did Wuxia Pictures, like their styles are what kind of define what people know as the Shaw Brothers aesthetic. And Kwai Chi Hung, I, he's working in the Shaw Brothers set, but I feel like out of everyone that we've mentioned, he's the one furthest away from that. You know, that set bound Shaw Brothers style, he'll shoot on those sets sometimes, mm -hmm. but he'll often go into the grimy streets of Hong Kong or go to Thailand and show it as like this exotic black magic filled milieu. So a little bit of context for the Shaw Brothers. I know most people listening mm. will know who they are, but just just as a bit of a refresher, they were the big Hong Kong movie studio, uh, not just martial arts movie studio, but movie studio. The Monopoly. Yeah. They, movie factory. That's right. And they were uh, horrible in many ways yes. because they would put these poor stuntmen and directors and actors who didn't know any better under these very draconian contracts. Yeah, and a salary position that you had to do this many movies when they asked you to do it. No bonuses, no raises. Everybody's paid the same. Right. And basically, everybody lived in the same yeah. building, and they made these movies all day. I mean, uh, the other side of it is the movies are amazing. Yes, they're, that's they're, right. <laughs> like, they're like any of those 
you know, much like uh, an old Hollywood studio, there's a baseline of technical excellence in a well, Shaw Brothers You film. pointed out um, in your reviews this week watching uh, Kwai Chi Hung's movies that this kind of sleaze is not usually as technically polished as his pictures are. Yeah, when I watch an American movie mm. about subject matter like this, it's usually shot on 16 millimeter mm-hmm. or really bad digital, and it looks like a snuff film that you found at the side of the road. But these are beautiful, you know, colorful, widescreen mm-hmm. epics. And so let's start with, I would say, his most famous picture, The Boxer's Omen. Right, and The Boxer's Omen was one of numerous black magic movies that the Shaw brothers made in, like, let's say the late 70s, yeah. early 80s. In the wake of The Exorcist, uh, Shaw Brothers won to jump on any fad. We're like, all right, let's make horror films. Horror films not really being a super popular genre in Hong Kong before that point. And the Shaw Brothers at this point were kind of on the downturn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're finding ways to stay relevant. Yeah, because, I mean, Bruce Lee was the first guy to really put a chip in the Shaw Brothers domination by signing with Golden Harvest. Yeah. And then from there, there were people like Jackie Chan, uh, other Hong Kong luminaries who joined with other studios. The old Shaw Brothers martial arts style was going out of fashion. Yeah, the Hong Kong New Wave was coming into popularity. Like uh, Companies like Cinema City were starting to redefine the Cantonese comedy. There were just new flavors of movies that audiences that had been you know, enjoying Shaw Brothers film for so long were like, oh, wait, why don't we just watch this other stuff instead? There were also shifting standards of acceptance of what could be allowed on screen mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. And the Hong Kong horror movies that uh, the Shaw Brothers Brothers produced really uh, we're gonna push it as far as it can go <laughs> absolutely now yeah as you said the boxer's omen is probably his most famous movie mm. uh the plot and this is not a plot heavy movie is that there's a boxer he dies and his brother goes to seek revenge for him goes to this uh monastery and from there on uh gets entangled mm. in an ancient curse I mean, that's the, the plot is much more complicated than that, but also much less complicated. Yeah, it doesn't than that matter because it is a series of uh, grotesque, insane, unbelievable images. I mean, when I saw this movie for the first time, it was my first Hong Kong horror movie, and I was. I feel like you had to, like, scrape me off the back of my seat. What's fascinating about The Boxer's Omen is it's kind of an outliner to what most Hong Kong horror movies are. Because it is dealing in grotesqueries and just like, look at it! In ways that, you know, my first one was probably a Chinese ghost story. Or even Story oh, of Rikio. You know what? I saw those before this. Yes. <laughs> But, but I've never seen anything quite like this one. And, you know, I infamously, to Will Sloan and people who love Boxer's Omen, it's just, I don't like it that much. And I want to like it so much. It bugs me. And, and this is strange to me because, you know, I looked at it again this week, mm-hmm. uh, you know, skimming through it yeah. uh, to refresh myself to it. And I was once again sort of blown away by all the strange images in it. I mean, this is a movie. Oh, of, it's filled with hallucinogenic stuff that you've never seen before. You know, uh, uh, alligators throwing up spiders mm-hmm. and, and people eating vomit and heads flying around and there's a scene where a guy is is shooting buddhist scripture as laser beams there's a scene where somebody like like i don't know how to describe it they like burst out of their own skin yeah <laughs> I, you know i watched some of um, this director's earlier black magic films and i suddenly understood why i didn't like uh boxer's omen so much it's because his earlier black magic films like bewitched I really loved. Uh-huh. And I think it's because Boxer's Omen, which was one of the last movies that he made, was him kind of going, I don't really care about anything else. Let's just show this and let's just j- linger on it. It's just gross. It's not about any like dynamic um, storytelling or you don't really care what's going on. There is a scene where three guys in a row and they're just eating food, spitting it out, 
giving it to the next guy, and then that guy eats it, spits it out, and then the next guy eats it. And it's just... What's your problem? It's all three beats too long. That's what bugged me. Okay. It's like, there's a little, like, goblin man that comes out of a head. It's like, whoa, that's so cool. And then it cuts to a wide, and then it cuts back to a close-up of that little goblin man coming out again. And I'm like, all right, I got it. See, that shot is so gross to me that that I'm very happy just lingering in it for a while. And he just lingers on it. He, it's almost... There's some interviews near the end of his career where he goes like, this is what, you know, the friggin' audiences want. I'm just going to give it to them. This is kind of what I like about the boxers only. Yeah. It feels like his hard boiled. Mm, but I'm just yeah. like, I got it. That's what, that's my okay. issue. with watching okay. the movie. Well, can I tell the listeners at home to just check out the boxers? I would, Omen? you know what? Every time I talk about the boxers Omen, I say, check it out because I think that, you know, it can be so shocking when you see it that you're like, uh-huh. Whoa, this is unbelievable. I mean, I would say watch bewitched because that one, which is dealing all with the same territory I found was more compelling. If only from a structural point and just more, stuff like it's about a uh, man who is cursed by a woman in thailand we should point out that all these films are incredibly xenophobic it's all about like going to a faraway country often thailand where an evil curse is put on you that then is taken back with the uh, characters to modern day hong kong which is also a hellhole these films also have uh, issues with gender yes they do Uh, they are are a little bit uh, sexist but Um, all the men in the film are also misogynistic monsters yeah and so one of the things I like about this guy's movies, which maybe goes, I, I don't know if like is the right word, but something that I found compelling as I kept watching them is like, there's no, there's no predicting them. Like anything can happen. Mm. I marathoned a bunch of his movies and I, I still feel very much like in a strange headspace from having been in that, <laughs> that world for so long because, you know, a movie will start as a black magic movie and it'll turn into a giallo film. Yeah. There will be long, boring stretches followed by just an image that'll punch you in the face that it's so unpleasant and evil. Like any uh, studio director, I feel that you can see the projects that he's like committed to and the ones that he's like, eh, yeah, whatever. I just got to do this one because it's on contract. Yeah. I mean, he did a bunch of Hex movies. Uh-huh. He did like Hex, which was a big hit and then the other two hex after hex and hex versus witchcraft are just straight up comedies because he's like "Eh, i don't want to make these movies anymore i just want to have some laughs and you know this is what i mean it's like the films feel a bit like free associative writing Mm. they feel like anything can happen um and they they feel dangerous and they feel like primal screams at times i know that he himself in in interviews said that he was interested in making socially conscious films Mm -hmm. and he is um, the films are often set in these very dirty and grimy lower class worlds. Yeah, mostly apartment buildings where it's like very cramped. The doors are shut with like a cage door. And as you indicated, he gets out of the set. Like mm. he's he's often, you know, handheld camera in the streets. Even his wuxia film, Killer Constable, is very much out in the open air. I mean, if people listening about this director want to see the grossest film he made, I would say that even grosser than Boxer's Omen, is the killer snakes oh my god because that is a film that is just so punishing that movie is an assault yes on, on the senses and, and I, I know I watched it this week I know how it was pitched which was Shaw Brothers Studios like hey Willard's really popular which is about a boy and like who can control rats and he's friends with rats why don't we make one uh, a guy who's friends with snakes Kwai Chi Hung he just goes bananas with it the uh 
titular guy who befriends snakes is the sleaziest, grossest guy ever. There are so many snakes in this movie. And, you know, you know, warning for people who don't like animal violence, you will see them brutally murdered left and right. Yeah, so Killer Snakes, it was not my favorite of the movies no. I watched this week. I don't know if I exactly liked it, but it is. it, it just has a raw power that can't be denied. Do you want to see someone roll around in like a hundred snakes? You're going to see that a lot in this movie. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to tell you guys the plot of a little bit more about the plot of Killer Snakes, and I just want to like give you a little bit of a content warning here <laughs> yes. because there's a lot that's offensive in this movie. As you said, it's a Willard-like protagonist who's picked on by everybody in his town, and there's nothing lovable about him either. Oh no, he sits in his, I guess he lives in an alley, just covered in nude photos of women yeah. that he just like pants and masturbates too. He falls in love with this nice young woman who works at like a fruit stand somewhere and and they go they're going to go on a date, but then her father dies and she is forced into prostitution to pay to pay her landlady and you know, sinister landlords and landladies are a recurring theme in Kwai Chi Hung's movies. He doesn't know what happened, uh, but he knows that the house of the local brothel is evil, and he uses his killer snakes to go after everybody who has wronged him, particularly prostitutes. And by go after, you mean put snakes in their vaginas, where the women then moan in ecstasy before they die. So, I mean, I, I'm not endorsing this movie exactly. I mean, there's there's also a scene at the end, you're saying <laughs> snake violence, animal mm. violence, where just like one snake after another is like shredded. Thrown in a fire. I mean, the film starts with a guy opening up a snake taking out its poison glands and then making like a delicacy out of it. And so I watched this movie just sort of with my mouth agape that the major Hong Kong studio made it and it played in theaters and it, it's like beautiful. It has wonderful production values. Um, it has, you know, great action scenes and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, uh, you know, uh, now it's time for how did this get made? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? It was made because the people making it were like, it's going to play for four weeks in the theaters and then go be put in a vault somewhere, never to be seen again. And so the the, the fact that there's a class consciousness in the movie, there's there's a political anger in the movie, as, as well as just a lot of stuff that's really kind of evil and objectionable. Mm. That's the, the cocktail that makes Kwai Chi Hung sort of interesting. It's like... You know, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? Which yeah. is like, this is bad. And, you know, you should be nice to snakes. Also, look at these snakes burning in a pile. It's yeah. like, holy or, shit. Or there's a scene where, like, a guy's, like, throwing snakes in the air and he's just, like, slicing, slicing them, them with in a the sword. Head. Yeah. Uh, sorry, folks. Um, you snake lovers out there. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, cruel, oh, and chickens too. cruelty towards snakes and chickens are in just about all of these films. You can't have a black magic ritual without um, cutting a chicken's, a live chicken's head off you're, you're on right. camera. It's cultural really okay. That's, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. That, that's exactly what you're saying. So, I mean, there are some other uh, interesting films we can talk about. There's Corpse Mania. Oh, I actually uh, really love Corpse Mania, mm -hmm. which is one that I struggled with many years ago because for the first 40 minutes, you're like, what is this movie about? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about necrophilia. It is. Very lovingly portrayed as the man, like, cleans a dead body that's covered in maggots. Oh, my God. Well, that image... 
you know, worthy of Lucio Fulci. I mean, maggots left and right in this guy's filmography. He, He's I, the go-to. You want to see some maggots squirreling around? He just loves anything abject, mm-hmm. you know, and he is spit and slime and vomit and, and piss and just fluid. And but what I love about Corpse Mania is that the latter half does turn into like a straight ahead giallo with like a murderer running around brutally slaughtering people in like colorful environments. Well, you like take the plot of this movie. There's a wealthy man who comes to the local house of prostitution and he says there's there's a, a sex worker there. He doesn't use the term sex worker. Mm-hmm. That's a term I'm using. There's a sex worker in the brothel who I want to buy her freedom. But she's sick. Why would you want to buy her? Well, he just wants to buy her. And then, um, oh, oh my God. I mean, it's just so, it's just so <laughs> gross. I mean, yeah. the, the movie involves necrophilia. That's all you yes, need to know. Yes, it does. And in a loving way, because he's not truly the villain in this movie. There is a twist ending. <laughs> yeah, yes, there is. But there seem to be a series of uh, necrophiliac killings. And then in the second half... Yeah, it turns into a giallo, and there are stabbings. And yeah, there's, and there's like a mass killer going around. Uh, there's a great scene where somebody's face gets ripped off. Oh, that's right. And I cannot emphasize enough the technical excellence of these <laughs> yeah, films. Yeah, that's right. The fact that they, like, these are not, you know, looking under a rock and finding just a strange relic that some uh, weird person made. Yeah, these, these are, are not regional horror films. Yeah. They're not Last House yeah. on the Left or anything like that. I know that Kwai Chi Hung was not a prestigious director. He was sort of in the second tier of mm. Shaw Brothers filmmakers, but he was still working at the big company. But according to like his screenwriters that worked with him, he was such like a perfectionist that stuff like Bewitched starts with like Black Magic Coordinator, uh, an actual <laughs> real person, that he wanted to make these movies as good as he could within the studio system. Like, you look at something like Corpse Mania, it is as far away from the Shaw Brothers style as you can get. Lots of handheld, lots of on-location shooting, the camera never moving in the way that you kind of expect, in environments that you've seen in hundreds of martial arts films. I mean, this movie, yeah, I mean, there are those streets that you often see on the Mm. Shaw Brothers sets, but they're, you know, covered in fog. Yeah. You know, the the sets and the real life just sort of intermingle. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, the real streets, I mean. Yeah, it's like, I want to give you, like, a dynamic look at this stuff in ways that you've never seen before. And because of that, I can do shocking things that you're like, ah, I wouldn't expect that to happen. He also had a particular talent for, like, moody night photography. Mm -hmm. Killer Constable has some good, Mm. you know, dark scenes where the action is still very legible. I think one of the reasons that he didn't really take off as a kind of cult figure is also because he doesn't have those recognizable genre films. If he had made, like, a monster movie, people would be like, oh, yeah, that guy, I like that guy. Or if he had just made more martial arts film, like the one that you just mentioned, Killer Constable, is pretty much the only, like, pure, serious martial arts film. He did another one that has the amazing name of Coward Bastard. But that one's not held in very high regard and actually didn't get a chance to see it. He made a Bruce Flotation film as well. Yeah, he made a film with Bruce Law called, I think, Iron Dragon Strikes Back Yeah, it's like the gold something. It's not one, again, that's held in very high regard. And that was not a Shaw Brothers film, that was a Taiwanese production. Right. So we should mention Killer Constable because this is the other film that he's made that's sort of close to being a classic. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie where, you know, some some gold gets stolen and the Empress Dowager says there's, there's, it's in ancient China, by the way. Yes. The Empress Dowager says there's only one man for the job. We got to hire the Killer Constable. A dirty hairy type, if you will. And, and this man, uh, he just loves killing and torturing people. So this is like the social conscious side of the director that, you know, gets mentioned a lot when people try to write essays about him, which is like this on paper looks like any other martial arts film. But because 
the lengths that he pushes it to. This main character is evil. Mm-hmm. Like, what he's doing is unnecessary. But within the confines of the genre, in any other context, it'd be fine. Like, this is what you do. You kill the villains. Mm-hmm. You have great martial arts fights. And it's all about, like, deconstructing that idea. And at the end, actually turning it on its head. It's like, oh, this person that you may have tried to convince yourself is the hero. He was never the hero. Even if you, like, well, then why is he the protagonist? And there's a strong class critique here, mm-hmm. too. Because, I mean, he is an ambassador of the upper class classes killing the commoners and he's also puppeteered by the upper classes Uh in something that he thinks is righteous right (laughs) and i think that that's why his films are so interesting and when you see something like killer constable you're like "Ah, i wish he could have like continued to explore down these avenues but because those black magic films are so popular they were like no you got to keep making these Mm -hmm. i mean I i mentioned briefly that um seven virgins film and i think that it's one that people should check out because it is the best version of that that you could ever see so it's like these not actually seven five women are are uh, they are they virgins uh three of them are two of them are not and that's a plot point thank you for tallying that. <laughs> yeah they say i'm gonna sue the shaw brothers they say it multiple times in the movie <laughs> and it's about these white women who are brought and it's just so surreal like to a shaw Brothers set and i think the only uncut version is available in german which is that was a production for and the shaw brothers logo actually doesn't even appear at the beginning of the movie hmm. just the uh, german production company does and so they're brought into um this kind of situation as slaves and then are taught all each of them a different style of martial arts. They're like, we don't have time to train you, so you all learn one different style and then take on the the villains that captured them uh, in just epic battles that the director could have been like, eh, just phone it in. Like, who the cares we'll just have nudity every other scene so you were showing me a scene from this seven virgins film mm-hmm. where so the the women who are not all virgins yes. despite the title <laughs> they're in their bikinis on the beach and and each of them is like sword fighting sword fighting a different group of henchmen and the camera goes from one group mm-hmm. and then and then swoops to the right to the next group and then swoops up to a balcony to where a third fight is happening yeah that's a very complex achievement yes it is and it's <laughs> for a movie that the people like the the entire Intended audience will probably not appreciate that. Mm. So I think that's why Kwai Chi Hong is interesting because he is going that extra mile for this kind of stuff in genres that could only be described as disreputable. Yes. <laughs> so he is like, and I mean, there's no other way to talk about him other than an exploitation director. Mm-hmm. Like, even early on in his career, like, he was making biker pictures, like Killer on Wheels, mm-hmm. that are kind of slight remakes of Straw Dogs, or he made a lot of the anthology film The Criminals, which were, like, little short films that are about, like, torn from the headline really gross stuff in modern-day Hong Kong. Yeah, and I think this is maybe the key to appreciating him. It's like, yes, there are political statements in the films, mm-hmm. um, but there's also a lot of stuff that is very objectionable. There's a lot of stuff that's uh, very, very evil, and, yeah. and there's stuff that's gross, and there's stuff that uh, and, and it's just one big it's, you know, one mu- big stew. Much like, much like the pot of uh, organs and babies yeah. uh, in Bewitched. Unborn fetuses, if you will. Uh-oh, excuse yeah. me, unborn fetuses. Oh, there's a scene in Bewitched that's, that's so, gross, so gross where he has to go to like a funeral home and get like the juices from like a dead pregnant woman and oh, just oh my shooting God. out of every like hole in her belly. Hole. And then she's all rotten too. I, I, I mean, I mean, truly disgusting. And yes, ma- it is. Maggots everywhere. So, I mean, 
you've got to enjoy that. Yes. I mean, if, <laughs> like, because as cinema viewers, if you get into horror, there's a, like stuff that you want to see, right? You want to be shocked. You want nightmare imagery. You want, yeah. you want stuff to really surprise you mm-hmm. to get under your skin. And that's what you'll get here. Yeah. And it's a shame. And me and Will kept saying this all week that, you know, reading about this director's life, it was never really appreciated. Killer Constable was a flop. That's why he didn't make any other martial arts films. His last few films just struggled. And eventually he just retired from the industry when the Shaw brothers essentially turned into a TV company and he moved to California to start a pizza parlor. He died in 1999 of liver cancer. So, mm. and yeah, he was just, he was just serving pizza in Hollywood. I <laughs> <Yes>. mean, <laughs> God, can you believe it? I mean, like if you were in LA in the nineties, you, you may have walked into his pizza parlor. You may have been in the presence of greatness and you didn't know it. And you know, he probably didn't even know it. No one appreciated him. Nobody cared about him. That's how he could walk away. And even now it's not like, you know, big retrospectives of his films are being thrown. I mean, they are, uh, the Hong Kong Cinema Archives did write a book about him and did a retrospective. So he is being kind of rediscovered there, but there hasn't been any of that international kind of breakthrough. Where were the American companies? Well, like, why, why the hell weren't they, like, dubbing Boxer's Omen and, like, flooding the grindhouses? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Too foreign, I guess. I know. Racism. All right. I, I know. You just think about some of the movies that were, like, considered cult classics in the <sighs> 80s. Yeah. And, like, you know, bo- Boxer's Omen. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it is frankly such bullshit. You watch some of these Shaw Brothers movies and you think that in the Western world, what was considered good, you know, yeah, what, competent, what was considered fun escapist entertainment was like a, a shitty James Bond movie. <laughs> like a, a view to a kill was being released in theaters and people were accepting it as okay while Killer Constable was being made at the other side of the world. Yeah. And then like if those directors did end up going to um, to Hong Kong or bringing Hong Kong people in, they're like, oh yeah, we know how to shoot action. Not yeah. you who work in the smaller industry. Yeah. Ugh, the worst. So uh, much to explore there. I know that my time with Kwai Chi Hung is not up yet. Like you said, you're like, I wish I could have watched all of his films this week <laughs> and I just you know the, our time on earth is short and plus I probably need a bit of a break from him for, for just a week <laughs> that's right <laughs> so the nightmares can finally stop do we have any letters this week we do have letters as per usual you can send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com uh, this letter is from Marco not the one that we know Will and it goes dear important cinema club Marco from Switzerland here I discovered your podcast lately because I had heard Will Sloan Esquire on the Sleazoids podcast in which Will Sloan hilariously first showed the Sleazoid boys the stunningly melancholic Lugosi Karloff masterpiece The Black Cat and then made them watch hardcore porn (laughs) the hardcore porn film was Widow Blue by the great Walt Davis which I had listened to because Chapo Trap House's very own Matt Christman had gone on their show to talk about the absolute masterpiece that is Gremlin 2. I greatly enjoy your podcast. I'm always amazed at your enthusiasm and your willingness to dive into even the most bizarre curiosities like Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. Ooh, I hope that's our new detour. (laughs) I finally watched that movie. Hardly anything in the podcast uh, world gives me as much joy as Justin's excited laugh. Oh, that's nice. You may be the only person to ever say that. All right. Your episode on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series was really good. Thank you. So I wondered if you were familiar with Christoph 
Oh boy. Schlingesius German Massacre, the first hour of reunification. Maybe you've talked about uh, this director before and I forgot, but the guy deserves another mention anyway. He was a very prolific artist in film, theater, opera, and performance art, often driven by his commitment to left-wing causes. His movies are very irritating, but in a strange way, watchable. I think, and I'd like to hear your take on them. German Chainsaw Massacre is a film he very quickly produced. It's a political satire on the way German unification was carried out rather as an annexation rather than a real unification of two parties based on equal footing. So in that movie, very shortly after the end of the German Democratic Republic, DDR citizens go out to explore West Germany, to which they hadn't had access before, but quickly they fall into the hands of an insane butcher family who proceeds to make sausage out of East Germans. The film is outrageous and cheap in many ways, not actually appealing, but still interesting in a neurotic way. Greeting from Switzerland's Marco. You I, showed this film somewhere, I did right? not show it, but I wrote an essay on it right. because um, a German kind of Cinematheque organization in Toronto commissioned me to write an essay about it. And I had actually not seen the film before. And what the writer of this letter says is completely right. They're very unpleasant kind of energetic films that are doing riffs that seem kind of similar, but then push it too far in another direction. But what I think what's interesting about this letter is that like, like we were talking about the director this week, that's a director that nobody talks about mm -hmm. because his films are so extreme, but also speak to a localized phenomenon that people think that like, oh, well, it won't actually translate mm. because people won't understand. But like, it's very simple. Like I just read it and it's like, oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. German Chainsaw Massacre. German Chainsaw Massacre. I also checked out the other uh, director's films and they are all basically like kind of genreists, but pushed into experimental art house territory where they do genuinely become unpleasant. So, you know, listeners, I'm sure that almost nobody has heard about that director. So if you need something transgressive to watch, this uh, Halloween season, check it out. Speaking of transgressive things, uh, Impossible Horror is now available on Amazon Prime. Oh, nice. Check it out. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime in the US or the UK, you can check out the feature film that I wrote and directed. Now you can watch it for free, you cheapskates. <laughs> but, you know, if you're watching on Amazon Prime, make sure you watch to the end, because I get paid by the minute, baby. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, well, and uh, if you... if. And folks, if they like it, I believe there's a Blu-ray of it they can get on Gold. Impossible Horror. Uh, actually, ImpossibleHorror.com. ImpossibleHorror.com, yeah. which has... How many commentary tracks did you record on Ooh, Seven, I think? Seven. Yeah, if you go to GoldNinjaVideo.com and you also go to ImpossibleHorror.com and you order them on either site, it's actually the same store, so it'll go out in the same shipment. Do you know what I gotta do? I gotta put it on and go to my cameo and listen to every commentary <laughs> to see... And what we say at that moment? Yeah, like it's it, is it different observations about me or do you never acknowledge me or do you acknowledge me half the time we just make fun of you we, uh, are they like hey why isn't Will doing a commentary we made a joke about someone and that person messaged me days later be like hey you guys made a joke about me <laughs> I won't say who it is but it's on one of those commentary checks um, yeah and if people haven't checked out Gold Ninja Video uh, we announced it last week I released Flesh Freaks a um, shot on video film from the 90s with new commentaries new transfers all that other fun stuff and Kung Fu Zombie speaking of Hong Kong horror Flash Freaks you told me this yes Adam Naiman is in it Adam Naiman Toronto <laughs> film critic uh, yeah he is in it he gets killed as a zombie in the movie I mean what more do you want well, yeah exactly I mean I mean, uh, there are no stars in the heaven for they're all <laughs> on screen on Flash Freaks <laughs> I explained the movie uh, last episode but check it out goldninjavideo.com uh, these movies will not be on there forever uh, Three Stooges is still available mm -hmm. so if you get like those two uh, Blu-rays and you also get Three Stooges 
shipping is not that much compared that if you would order them individually because of the way Canada Post works terrible shipping like someone said that it costs less to ship it to uh belgium than it costs for someone to be shipped to toronto oh sorry guys <laughs> yeah <sighs> but if you order them because it works per kilogram and if you get over a hundred it's essentially the same for a while so you know why not just order three get that three stooges before it's gone and you have you're like why didn't i get that listen to the great commentary me and will did on that release mm-hmm. the best three stooges experience you could ever have can't wait to do our next Blu-ray. Yep. Uh, Come, this coming, week coming soon. Coming soon. Yeah. Uh, something that we've talked a lot about. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to actually dive in and like be able to do like a 90-minute a dive. Oh, actually, more than 90 minutes. Probably a two-hour commentary track. But oh, yeah. we'll talk about that when it comes. All right. So what are we doing next week? Oh, before that, what's on our Patreon, Will? We revisit the cinema of Abel Ferrara, <laughs> yeah. who was episode number two. two. Uh, One of the rare episodes recorded uh, not in um, important cinema class. Club HQ, so it's a little bit more hollow. That's right. That's right. It, we watched his 1995 vampire film, The Addiction. Mm. And we essentially talk about that movie and, you know, just do a redo on Abel Fer- Ferreira's career mm. and our thoughts on him. Mm. And next week, we're doing Vincent Price. You got a Vincent Price uh, impersonation up your sleeve? Uh, I'm Vincent Price. No, I don't. That's more Peter Laurie-ish. Yeah. <laughs> You work on it, work on it. Welcome to my house on Haunted Hill. No, that is it's Peter, Peter Lorre. <laughs> I don't know how to do a Vincent Price. Uh, it seems like someone that people imitate all the time. I think Bill Hader had I, like... That, a... You know, here's the thing. I was I was trying to do Bill Hader doing, <laughs> doing Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Vincent Price, uh, one of the granddaddies of horror cinema, along with people like Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. So uh, what should we watch? Hmm. Um, uh, house of Wax? Yeah, <laughs> we should have had this conversation before. I don't know. Let's 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 uh brainstorm. Yeah, uh, I mean, do you want to do something like, by Corman? I was gonna say like Last Man on Earth, which is him oh, on the outskirts. That could what be he was fun. doing like in, an independent production, and then like a Corman film. Like I don't know, uh, you House know, of Usher. Yeah, House of Usher. One of the big grandstanding Vincent Price roles. And then we could talk about him on as the Eggman as well. Right. <laughs> on the Batman TV show. Right. <laughs> All right. So that's what we're doing next week. And until then, I'm Joseph Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Snoochie Boochies. Uh, <laughs> Justin and I <laughs> had a pr- pilgrimage. Yeah. So we went to see the new film, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Mm. Uh, Will said he was going and I was like, I'm going to see it at some point. So I might as well see it now. Just get it out of the way. <laughs> but then as I was sitting and the movie was about to start, I was like, I didn't even see Tusk. Maybe I wouldn't have seen it. No. And then you, it you haven't seen Tusk? No. Why would I? I don't know. You, you see lots of stuff. I yeah. think you would have seen that one. Have nah, you seen, I'm good. Have you seen? Yeah, of course you've seen Yoga Hosers. We, yes, I've seen Yoga Hosers. We, we, we watched, watched it together. It together. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw Red State as well. Yeah, Red State I thought was okay. Yeah, Red State was interesting because it was, when we talked about this on multiple yeah. Kevin Smith, we'll do like a big Kevin Smith seven hour like compilation on vinyl that people can just <laughs> listen to us talk about him. But um, Red, Red State was the last one where it looked like he was trying, trying to, new stuff and trying to go to an audience beyond his podcast uh, audience. But he got too big for his britches and he essentially just burned anybody within the industry who would be interested in him doing something different. Now, the thing about Jay and Silent Bob reboot the film Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when it came out seemed like the height of self-indulgence. <laughs> yes. This movie, I mean, if you are well, not... Well, it's for, it's for no one other than people who are like, 
I guess, uh, what is it? Deeply immersed, immersed yes. in, in his life and history. Because there's a scene. You remember when he was too fat to fly? Uh, of course I do. There's, there's a whole scene. I was scene. a podcast listener at that point. Yeah, there's a whole scene about that incident. And if you don't know what they're talking about, it's just going to go over your head, which a lot of the scenes in this movie did. I was just like, I don't know what's going on. So Kevin Smith is a character in this film because Jay and Silent Bob need to go to Hollywood to stop the Blunt Man and Chronic reboot from happening. (laughs) And it's going to be directed as a big Hollywood superhero movie by the filmmaker Kevin Smith. Yes. So he's in it as himself. They do nothing with that joke. So I thought that there was going to be a joke about how ridiculous it was, the idea of Kevin Smith making a big comic book movie. Nope. (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, Kevin Smith is presented in this movie as like the god of comic book. Oh, wouldn't it have been great if he was like washed up and he had tried a bunch of stuff and they're like, remember when you were going to make the Green Hornet? Now you're just yeah. a loser. So there are a lot of quote unquote self-deprecating jokes in this movie. Yes. All of which are just totally flattering to him because <laughs> everybody is always like, oh, you mean the guy who made Cop Out? That fucking sucked. And it's like, nobody who, remembers Cop Out. Who, yeah, who thinks about Cop Out? <laughs> nobody thinks about Jersey Girl. Nobody Except thinks. for us. <laughs> yeah, well, we do. But, but no, nobody does. Mm. I, I mean, when people, when ordinary people hear the name Kevin Smith, they maybe think, oh yeah, Clerks. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, not even Mall Rats. Not even Mall Rats. <laughs> yeah. So, so this movie has our favorite heroes, Jay and Silent Bob, uh, like you said, going on an adventure. And I like to say that this movie feels like it's made up of five scenes because every scene just goes on forever. Well, certainly there are like five locations that we keep returning <laughs> yes. to. Yeah. Hey, you want to go back to movies twice? Because you're gonna. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that all the scenes at the fast food place were probably filmed in a day. Yes. I mean, this movie is really low rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's for such a specific audience that does it need to look as slick as Jay and Silent Bob, which even in of itself look kind of cheap? I, I sort of have some small affection for this movie just because it is so like it it was made by a person yeah it's like so nobody else made this movie and it's for nobody except him you know what i you know who else it's for jason muse who gives yeah. a very committed performance yeah and i mean the movie actually jason muse is not that bad in this no movie. he's not and yeah. he's actually forced to do a lot of weird heavy lifting that he's never had to do in any of the other movies and i find that like kind of weirdly touching it's mm. like this is just some guy he was just a weird kid that kevin smith knew 25 years ago and now here we are 25 years yeah, later yeah, and he's yeah. doing big dramatic beats <laughs> Antoine Duanel Antoine yeah. Duanel yeah it's like boyhood <laughs> yeah that's right because <laughs> the film um, reveals that uh, Jason Mewes had a daughter with everybody remembers Shannon Doherty uh, I know it was Elizabeth, uh, uh, the one from uh, American, American Pie, Pie. Yeah. Shannon Elizabeth. Shannon Elizabeth. There you go. And um, uh, he has a kid played by Kevin Smith's daughter. Yeah. And uh, Jason Mewes, his whole kind of character from that point on, because like up until then, I'm like, oh, so lame. It's just the same thing. But from then on, it's like this like tortured Jason Mewes is like, how do I raise a daughter? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> There's one point where she's like, yeah, I just want to meet my dad. But, you know. Why doesn't he want me? Essentially, that scene from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Heavy, and, dramatic. Yeah, and Jason Mewes is like, yeah, your dad, you know, he's just he's just like a piece of shit. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like what, what is this movie? Because then the next thing, it's like Chris Hemsworth says a hologram being like, hey, it's me. So, okay, so there are a lot of scenes where Kevin is calling in favors. <laughs> a lot of scenes. I mean, uh, you know, a friend of ours noted that it was like, okay, he had a heart attack and this is like the funeral that he would have had. Like, you know, I was actually a little bit bummed that there wasn't more cameos because there were long stretches where I'm like, all right, just give me someone that I recognize. The, the Matt Damon cameo. <laughs> 
<laughs> which it looked like he skyped in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, he's in a church somewhere, but I feel maybe Kevin says wasn't there when they shot because it is one shot. Yeah. And he just looks at the camera and says, hey, you may remember me from Dogma. And the whole joke is that like, oh, the Loki character turned into the Bourne character. Yeah. That was the joke. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. But you know what cameo is moving is a Ben Affleck cameo because when this movie was being made in production, they were like, Ben Affleck's never going to be in this film because he and Kevin haven't spoken in like 10 years. Yeah. And then somehow it came together that he showed up and actually starts with Ben Affleck essentially breaking the fourth wall and being like, hey, man, I haven't seen you in years. And like giving a hug to Kevin Smith. I enjoyed seeing Ben Affleck in the movie. Yeah. That was a, an emotional moment. That Running through uh, Kevin Smith's script for uh, Chasing Amy 2 in like <laughs> eight minutes. <laughs> and a lot of, you know, heavy uh, Ben Affleck inside. Like, the, I mean, the whole movie is just like a nostalgia critic video. Yeah, like, he was the bomb in Batman, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like Bruce Wayne's mother. Yeah. What's, What's her, her name? name again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there I, was one uncomfortable part where Ben Affleck's like, they just try to put diversity in movies all the time. Or maybe with somebody And the else. audience applauded. <laughs> and we're like, oh boy. <laughs> and, you know, looking across the audience there was a lot of people there yeah but it wasn't sold out yeah so does that is like audience is kevin smith's audience dwindling this is a question that we were asking ourselves afterwards with does he is he getting new fans and i say no probably not but i was wondering i was genuinely curious if is there an audience who has discovered him on podcasts Mm. or on like the comic book men show i can't imagine because like the comic book man show was canceled (laughs) and you know when we came into his orbit it was probably pre-jane silent bob strike back yeah so that was right after wait chasing amy what after what happened after chasing amy uh dogma dogma right so i think dogma was the first movie that i saw him in and at that point there was all he was always kind of like uh, leveling up is what the word like yeah he was doing more stuff remember he was on entertainment tonight like he was doing skits on jay leno right like he was a figure that it it didn't feel like a niche thing where it's just kind of running in circles which is what it is now well you remember jay and silent bob strike back was supposed to be of course i do his farewell to that world yes Um, and now he's just doubled down because he's realized like or this is what the fans want like that's the audience that i have i'm not gonna find new people with like jersey girl or uh cop i mean he's not talented (laughs) so yeah why not (laughs) and like clerks his best movie is a film that just came out of that moment in time when he made it and that's why it's good and he can't really capture that anymore so you know buckle up for uh clerks two i guess i know three three, well i gotta say i had a great time watching the movie with you it was just (laughs) super fun to be out there and be reunited with all our old pals (laughs) silent bob jason lee Ben Affleck, uh, Amy. No, you know she's not Amy in the movie. Um, uh, you know, all, all uh, Jory, the yeah, Joey Lawrence, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I did like that. Uh, ben Affleck just says, you know, maybe uh, I wasn't the right man, a white cis, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, male to tell the chasing Amy story. Stares into camera. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, I mean, you can never go home again because like the movie ended. It was like just a bunch of bloops and behind the scenes and we were like we i can't do this oh yeah because we went to the fathom event screening and yeah. there was another hour of content at two the introductions two introductions oh my god it's like no more please i've had enough 